This is Tectonic, a weekly talk show revolving around seismic shifts in technology culture and the digital age. This is episode six. I am Joe Darnell, and with me is my pal, Joshua Pfeiffer. How are you doing? I am doing much better than I was last week. Welcome back to the show, Joshua. <laughs> uh, so the reports of your death have been nullified. <laughs> you're, you're most definitely alive? Well, uh, halfway, halfway there. I'm ha- yeah. Still, I'm, I'm actually still re- recovering. I'll tell you what, that was some sickness. Yeah. Whew. Yeah. You yes. know, I actually took a real beating last year, last spring. I'll tell you what, maybe, maybe it just uh, finally spread over to your end of Georgia. May I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're, you're talking about moving. You know, you were like, a, you're not a native Georgian, right? No, my wife pretty much is, but uh, we, uh, we, we settled in the middle Georgia region a couple years back and, uh, we just, uh, it's just, we're just not big fans. <laughs> so we, we've got some, some good friends in the Birmingham area of Alabama. And, uh, I prefer to think that the Northern side of Atlanta is the more interesting side of it. It is. And we, we got friends up where you're at too. And, and it is, you know, it's much more beautiful than, than middle Georgia where mm. there's a bunch of pine trees and red clay and sand and mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, well, I'm interested <laughs> to hear how your move goes uh, one bit at a time. It sounds like you're going to pace yourself very well and try to remain productive and make a smooth transition there. And I think that actually we have somebody on the show with us today that could talk to you about productivity, making the move, making sure you make a fluid transition in a holistic way. We have Tim Stringer with us tonight. Tim, how are you doing? I'm doing great, yeah, and thanks, thanks for having me on the show. It's, I've listened to the, the whole back catalog, as I was saying, and love the, love the concept of the show, and uh, just really happy to be here today. Well, thank you. How is it up there in Vancouver? Uh, it's a beautiful a beautiful evening here in mm-hmm. Vancouver, and nice, nice blue skies. And I just have one primary question for you concerning Vancouver. So do you have Apple Watch deliveries there a little bit sooner than we do here on the East Coast? <laughs> Because I'm really missing my Apple Watch right now, and I'm wondering if it's over there somewhere. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen it around anywhere, but uh, no, I think we're we're waiting as long as everybody else. And uh, I haven't actually gotten mine yet. I got the uh, I wasn't going to order one right away, and then I went uh, went into the Apple Store to try one on as soon as they became available, and ordered one about five minutes later. And mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I'll be uh, getting delivery until early June, something like that. Oh, wow. Ouch. That's okay. I'm kind of enjoying watching from the sidelines for now. And uh, I think by the time I get mine, there'll probably be a, a point point release, uh, uh, fixing some bugs and things like that. So Yeah. And they may have announced the next one at WWDC. <laughs> by That's <then>. right. Yeah. <laughs> now, Tim, um, you're just a very interesting person to me. I've seen you on some of the the podcast. I mean, I've seen you. I've heard you on some of the other podcasts with like the great uh, people, uh, David Sparks and Kitty Floyd on Mac Power Users. You have your own online OmniFocus video series, and and that is, I don't know how you can be a more extraordinary person than to make your own online course. But additionally, to make it about something like OmniFocus means you just have to be really awesome to tackle that one. Uh, that's that's almost insurmountable to me to imagine. Uh, making the course about OmniFocus. We'll get to that a little bit later. I wanted to talk more about just like your general business and uh, what you do professionally, what sets Tim apart, and well, how'd you get into technology and why do you care about these things? So wh- what is Tim Stringer and how do you explain yourself? <laughs> yeah, sure. I'll try to condense this a little bit. Um, <laughs> so, So I basically grew up with technology and I think that's, I'm very grateful for that. Like when I 
when I was growing up, I remember living in Montreal back in the seventies and there was no, certainly no internet or email or we no, had yeah. party lines. So we didn't even have our own phone line. There were no VCRs or answering machines and bank machines. So it's, it was quite a, quite a different world. Very, very medieval. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, almost. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and I, I got to witness all of this technology emerge over the years and, and really just had such a fascination from it, from the first calculators coming in to the, the early PCs and Apple IIs and things like that. And when did, you, when did you start using Apple products then? Uh, actually in high school. Um, yeah, I was a big, big fan of the Apple II and I even used to put together interface cards for them that would control robots and things like that. And oh, brilliant. It, it was, yeah, such a great, uh, machine to learn on because it was very accessible. There wasn't this operating system in the way you could really get down to the the bits and bytes. And so it's very hands-on, very different sort of era. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So I think it would be quite different from learning in high school in this day and age where it's a more sort of abstract con- uh, concept. And I was really, really down in the weeds there and uh, down to the, the metal, as it's sometimes called. And yeah, so I really got a sense of what's underneath all of this, this, this great technology we have. Well, in, in having that perspective, you, you really can see how one thing just led to the next, to the next, to the next. And, you know, people, I'm, I'm 30 and, and I remember Macintosh computers going back to 93 and I had known of computers before that, but I didn't really have much experience with them. So I I knew life before computers, not because I lived in a world without them, but because my family just didn't have anything to do with them. And, and then to – so from my experience, when I was introduced to a computer, it was already like this magical box that could do so much. And I was able to create documents for school when I was in – what was it? The second grade – Joshua, I was creating documents on a Macintosh <laughs> in the second grade right up from the get-go. That is, that's pretty nerdy. It was. It just was. Did you face any hassle from other classmates who were still using crayons at the time? Uh, <laughs> no, I didn't have to worry about classmates because I was homeschooled. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah I guess your brother didn't beat you up. No. And no. when my parents got the, the computer for the class, it was all my own. It was all mine. I could do whatever I wanted. <laughs> computer class was all mine. But yeah, and so going back to you, Tim, I, I feel like that you, you can have a special appreciation for life before PCs and all the mobile devices, life before Facebook and the like. And I think that I frankly, I envy you because it makes it easier for your approach into your professional work. And for those reasons... I can kind of imagine how you got into the holistic approach to technology. Can can you explain like the roots of that, where you got interested in productivity, self-discipline and focus concerning technology? Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's, it's, it's really something that evolved over time. Um, were you always interested in like that kind of discipline of making good use of the technology or were you just, you know, you know at one time just tinkering with them as a hobbyist? It was a combination of tinkering, but also just looking at the possibilities that were starting to emerge as the technology got more and more advanced. That really, really got my sort of creative side going and curiosity. And so it wasn't just about the technology. Um, it was more about what's possible. I was trying to see the technology as a vehicle. It's uh, just like when, you know, cars came out, suddenly there was a 
faster ways to get places and planes made it possible to fly across the pond to Europe and mm-hmm. these things that most people probably wouldn't be able to do in their lifetime, you know, hundred years ago or suddenly sort of something you can do on a whim and pop over to Paris for dinner or something like that. So I think it's the same with technology. The the emergence of technology has opened up all kinds of opportunities just like us talking right now and we probably would have never connected otherwise and no. we certainly wouldn't be able to sort of have an impromptu call and then share this with uh, you probably have thousands of listeners by now yeah yeah if not if not millions yeah millions, millions exactly yeah. yeah yep i'm pretty sure that they're listening to this right now in the white house <laughs> oh yeah for sure yeah. so it's uh yeah it's that's really what's intrigued me all along is just the technology is a vehicle and what does this make possible that that wasn't possible or wasn't feasible in the past and yeah but what is sparked your journey into computer technologies professionally when you started out were you more interested in you know the, uh, creating something programming uh, how, how did you explore the field and discover your interest in productivity I had more of an interest in the development, the software engineering side of things. And after high school, I went and did a um, degree in electrical engineering. I found work, no problem. I was doing uh, software development for a small computer graphics company for a while. And then I started to work at Corel back in the, the heyday of, of Corel Draw, uh, which was a really, really exciting place to work at the time. And I found that I naturally kind of took charge in projects where I found there wasn't sort of enough structure if things weren't flowing or there's a concern around the schedule, I'd sort of naturally step forward and try to get things back on track and bring some structure and so forth. And See, that, that's that's actually not very uncommon for engineers. Engineers usually scoff at the people that are trying to pin them down to a schedule. You know, how many days do you think it'll take for you to, you know, leave me alone, let me <laughs> let me work? That's typically a, a, mm-hmm. a different uh, mindset in engineers. Yeah, definitely, yeah. But I think it's my the fact that I like to look at the big picture and the possibilities. It wasn't suddenly wasn't enough just to be down in the code and working on some segment of a program. Um, so I naturally went in, emerged into management roles. And I was managing teams of engineers, and at one point I had a project that involved about two hundred and fifty people in various departments. So I was working with hmm. people in engineering as well as QA and legal and public relations and so all, all over the all over the board and i just really love that whole sort of interplay between the, the different departments and doing some traveling and meeting customers and this this whole world that uh, kind of opened up out of that mm, interesting so then while you were developing your interest in like uh so like organizational structures did what, what exactly did you identify with as the need it was people it wasn't the machines that were the problem it was really like orchestrating people that were just using uh, technology as the tools to me- the means to do their jobs yeah that was definitely a part of it and then uh, help people be more productive yeah just notice what motivated people and where things mm. tended to get stuck and and just trying to uh, be proactive to to avoid the unnecessary stress that can show up if there's not enough planning if there's not enough thought put into the the process and what's involved and so forth that could uh, that could be a bit of a tug of war sometimes marketing would have expectations and and uh, development you know they might not understand what was involved in actually creating a product so I really helped to create that bridge between them I actually went through some of those experiences just today (laughs) with client work. And uh, yeah, so this is very fresh on my mind. And what I notice is that uh, in all that I do to try and hone my professional work as a graphic designer, 
I'm constantly tweaking this and that, trying to exercise more self-discipline. And along the ways, uh, doing some things that would seem um, not necessarily intuitive. Like, you know, one of the things I picked up on over the years was getting enough rest. And I think that a lot of people think to be productive, they need to work more and spend less time resting. <laughs> and But then it, one of those things that we've learned over the years from great resources as people studied these things was, you know, that how important rest was and key to our productivity. And it wasn't the machines that would get in the way. It was just our, how we discipline ourselves uh, times away from our tools, like our computers and smartphones. That that was something that began, uh, began uh, I guess, about two years ago. I started making the discipline to uh, make a, a more rigid schedule for sleep habits, and it's really paid off for me. I, I don't know if I will be always able to bless with this opportunity to get that in and, and, and maintain that in, in internal rhythm, but I, I sure hope so because I, I've seen that you know it's it's what we do with ourselves that influences our work as much as the machines. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's amazing how ingrained that kind of belief system is that if you put in more time, you're going to get more done. And and that's just, it breaks down very quickly. There's It's killer yeah. mm-hmm. it, because there's so many people that are striving so hard to learn more keyboard shortcuts so that they can shave off a few seconds of every day or they'll keep more tabs open so that they don't have to refresh the page. I mean, this idea of what we think is productive is probably not all that productive. Like it's not going to make the difference. We have to exercise a little bit more mindfulness and choose those things that are really important. And so I, I don't know, it's, it's going to be different for each person, but uh, back to you, I'm sorry, I'm talking too much about myself. What is it you did for yourself? I remember hearing this a while back concerning your story. You had a, a bat with cancer a few years ago. Mm-hmm, that's right, yeah. And this came uh, just a step back and uh, few years from that, I'd I'd gone off on my own to start uh, my company, Technically Simple, in 2003. I really had all these ideas about, especially about how technology could be used more effectively and developing a different mindset around the tools and so forth. And that's what prompted the start of the company. And I also uh, developed myself as a coach during that time because I found um, it it was really essential to get, be able to have conversations with people to get to the, the root of what really motivated them and where they wanted to go and things like like that beyond any implementation so that's that's really the the essence of coaching is is what do you want what do you want to create in your life what were some of the inspirations for your approach to coaching well i found i was actually coaching without even knowing what coaching was in the the early days of my business and and i just loved having those conversations with people um just love that sort of creation that comes through language and essentially everything is created through language to start with it's it's a conversation that took place or an idea that's written down or there's some some seed in language and um yeah i just really enjoyed having those and then when i moved to vancouver this is about 10 years ago now i uh, i was working with a, a coach for a while and i really really just enjoyed that experience and just having a forum where i could explore what I was up to and look at the blocks. And it was, it was such a treat to be able to have conversations like that. And I said, oh yeah, it totally makes sense to become more formally trained at this myself. And that continues to, to play a major role in the work that I do today. So when cancer came along, it was in the middle of your business development uh, in the third stretch, the third, fourth year. (laughs) Yeah, this was in uh, 2008. I got sick and I didn't know what it was at first. And um, but it got to the point where I was in so much pain that my wife took me into our local hospital here. 
it wasn't an obvious diagnosis, but uh, they eventually determined that I had an, an aggressive stage four cancer, and and I was literally wondering if I was going to see Christmas that year. Like I was was very very ill, uh, was in so much pain I could barely walk. Some days, it put me into this uh, radically different perspective on life, and I'd kind of taken it for granted that I'd have many years to accomplish all these things I talked about, and and uh, not only did I potentially have a very short life left, but I I wasn't in a position where I could do anything. I was just, just too sick. I was lying in, in hospital beds and so forth. Mm. So it's uh, so what a colleague of mine said. It's the, at the same time the best and the worst thing that's ever happened to me. So I'm, <laughs> wow. I, I definitely wouldn't want to go through it again. But there were so many deep insights that came from, from that journey. And, and fortunately, I did uh, come out the other side. And, <laughs> and uh, techni- technically simple as it exists today is, is essentially built on the, the lessons that I've learned from that, that journey through cancer. And, it's, uh, and now, uh, how, how do you find yourself actually training people or, or uh, coaching people and giving them this uh, approach to a, a simpler approach to technologies and productivity? How do you go about it with technically simple? Not uh, not talking about learn OmniFocus and in that in a nutshell, but uh, just the 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 outwork of technically simple. What does it look like to give people this sort of training in life, well being, and purpose through technologies? I'm very curious. Like it's a very abstract sort of concept, and I think a lot of people would be interested in it, but they don't understand what it looks like in, in practical application. Mm-hmm, sure, yeah. In two, early in 2009, I, I created this course called It's About Time. That was really a theme coming out of my cancer experience was, you know, it's now is the time to take on the things that are important, not in a way that creates um, pressure, but it's kind of like, don't don't take it for granted that there's going to be an infinite amount of time available. And so I, I created that as a one day workshop. And it was a combination of reflection, of learning the, the productivity theory, kind of getting getting back to basics and looking at the theory itself. Towards the end of the day, we'd get more into, okay, how, here's how you can apply this using the technology. Hmm. Um, and given that was a fairly broad course, like I had people who were using all kinds of different platforms and it would, didn't get too deep into the technology. But when I started to iterate that course and get more platform specific with different courses, that's when I could really dig into like specific apps and, and relate them back to the, the productivity theory so, so what you do is you try to give people something like some basic life principles to work with and from those principles determine life goals and individual purpose and then from there uh, find application with the technology. Is that what sort of it looks like? Yeah, that's part of it. I think a big thing that's missing for a lot of people today is actually just hitting the pause button and and reflecting on their life. Um, and that can take many different forms. It could be in a practice like meditation, it might be a visualization, uh, just doing an exercise where they're engaging with another person and just kind of probing, just like we would in a coaching conversation. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really um, it's really essential, I think, to to just pause and you know step out of the the fast lane and and just say, okay, what's really important, or how am I feeling in this moment, or what uh, what really motivates me, and and also the the productivity theory. And I read the uh, Getting Things Done book as I was going through my cancer treatments, and so that was and that was something that I used as part of my healing process. So I had a lot of enthusiasm around getting things done, and David Allen's given me permission to to do an intro to that uh, as part of the courses that I lead. So that's that's definitely 
to me is is giving people some best practices to they're not uh, limited to technology you know they they could have been practiced 200 years ago they can be practiced mm. 200 years from now but it's it's not tied to any specific technology it's really a practice for living it's getting to the the kind of the mechanics of what works and how our minds work and so I've uh, kind of weave that in early on give people the the theory and then mm. then the practical stuff can come after the, the way I like to sum it up is uh, owning a calculator doesn't make you a mathematician. So it's a <laughs> <laughs> Nope. And if they did, I'd have a very large mathematics degree because I have <laughs> yeah. many calculators. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so I was just thinking from a, uh, from a marketing perspective, you could have pitched it like, learn all the lessons I learned from cancer, but without the cancer or something <laughs> like that. I mean, it, it, yep, exactly. That's the, the way that coach I was working with, uh, I was actually being coached through cancer as well. And, and, um, that's the way she suggested pitching this course is, yeah, just, you can get the, the wisdom from that without necessarily having to go through that same experience. And that, that is how I want to do it. <laughs> well, that's what been one of my goals all along. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So one of the things about your holistic approach is how, you know, not a lot of people, I think, know what that word means. So let me look it up again, to, because this actually, I think that the word sounds like it is something that is not what it means. It means it's organic and grass-fed, right? Grass-fed productivity. Okay. Yeah, it, it sounds hor- like Hormone, horticulture. Hormone-free. <laughs> um, it, it actually, holistic is characterized by comprehension of the parts of something as intimately interconnected and inexplicable only by reference to the whole. That is the dictionary on my Mac. Yeah, yeah, I like that definition, actually. Yeah. And it's also defining what productivity means, uh, because I think that's a word that gets thrown around uh, very often. But maybe I'll start with the the holistic side. And and this is really a name I've given uh, to what I've been doing all along, but I needed to call it something. And, and that's really the name that stuck. Uh, so holistic points to the fact that as humans, we've got, we're multifaceted. We've got many different areas to our life, to our makeup and so forth. And, and nothing exists in isolation. And there's no such thing as home life and work life and personal life and all this. There's really just life with all its different components. And what I've discovered, um, you know, for myself and working with people over the years is if there's a positive shift created in one of these areas of life, then it's going to positively impact all of the other areas of life to some degree. And additionally, sometimes the area that seems to need the attention is not the place to put the focus. So somebody might work really long hours at work, you know, so they can get their work under control, but then they're not sleeping very well at night and they're exhausted, so their their ability to produce is is very much limited. I, I often find in courses it's almost like giving or people are giving themselves permission, but I'm creating the the space for them to do that to say, okay, yeah, it's really important. I focus on my health, and if I were refreshed going into work in the morning, I could probably get as much done in two hours as I get done in a day right now. So it's taking it into a very practical sense and just. As part of the reflective piece, just encouraging people to tune into all these different areas and how they're all intimately connected. And and then the productivity side of it is really just what what do you want? What result do you want to produce? Whether that's a, a nice suntan or landing a new job or having a marriage that really works or supporting the kids. So it's, yeah, it's very, very open-ended. 
productivity means that what you are doing is effective about bringing some kind of change. Mm -hmm. And it might be just a a very small uh, action step you want to take to have like something like, I want that, you know, milkshake. So I got to go find that milkshake. And what do I need to do to find that milkshake and not be distracted along the way? (laughs) But I do not recommend that you make that one of your priorities. Because productivity, I think going back to what I've heard over the years, listening to Merlin Mann, hearing you, the Mac Power users, uh, you know, checking out David Allen's resources. I read the book as well. It's interesting that I think in general, as a buzzword, we're seeing more and more online uh, across blogs and uh, technology sites. I think the word productivity is losing its meaning to be synonymous with success. We say, you know, here are the 10 steps to find success as a blogger. And then when you, you see the word productivity, it's, it's used as if to say, if I am productive, I will be successful at something. I will get that milkshake when, I'm, when it's all said and done. It, it doesn't necessarily work like that. And I think that begs the question is, yeah, what are you producing here? What, what does success even look like? And, and success could be just really having a powerful impact on the world or people that read your blog. It could also be you know, making money doing it or something like that, or it could be some. So it's it's really, I think it's without really defining what these words mean in that context, it's it's kind of meaningless to talk about success. And that is why you need to read the books. And that is why you need to take Tim's course, you know, because otherwise you'll have no idea what productivity means. <laughs> I'm not reading the dictionary definition. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's, a, it's just a word really at the end of the day. And uh, I think the essence of it is, um, as David Allen says, make it up, make it happen. <laughs> so it's it's a very creative process, creating something in language in a way that that uh, there's there's an inspiration that's present. And yeah, and then um, then taking steps towards it. And one one thing we do in, in my courses now is instead of if people take on this 90 day process where they create a shift in one one of their areas of their life over this 90 days. And that could be anything from getting their email inbox under control to um, getting into shape to working on a relationship in their life. It, it could be, it's really open-ended what they might go to work on. So essentially that gets created in language initially. But what I have them do is hop into a time machine and they actually share from 90 days in the future, having arrived at that goal. And then they, it's, it's, it's clearly, I've been this through this with many people now, and it's, it's, I always enjoy this process of just noticing how people's uh, way of being changes as they, as they inhabit that possibility, even though nothing has really changed in the present, they've, they've actually got a, an experiential sense of what it would be like to be in great shape or have that email inbox under control or mm. be on that trip that they've, they've dreamed of. And, and that's what really, once they get a taste of that, I find that's what tends to motivate the action. It's, it's not like, uh, you know, I need to do this, so I'll hopefully be happy at some point in the future. It's it's a realization that, that I can, yeah, I can actually adopt this way of being today in, in a way that really inspires me to take action and to, to create. And as, a, as adults, I think we um, can sometimes lose our sort of imaginative uh, sort of muscle there, so this is a good chance to to just do what do what kids do very naturally is just uh just go into that that imaginary space that has that right and speaking along those lines then you want to segue into how you created your vision for Learn OmniFocus, the program you have there, the the website and all those resources. I imagine at some point you produced one of those visions for your own course direction with the website and what you wanted to do with it. What what sparked your interest? in OmniFocus, that, that you wanted to take this power tool that it has a great community, 
and is already well established, built on top of the foundation of getting things done. And, you know, kind of like flush it out for a lot of people, share your methodology and systematic approach and, you know, kind of like show some of the, you know, underpinnings of how OmniFocus is so so great. I've I've seen some of your videos. I've checked out your articles and very concise. It seems like you're really powering through it. You're you're using OmniFocus to talk about OmniFocus and I'm I'm definitely impressed. Oh, thank you. And that in a sense, it wasn't planned in the short term. It was planned, but if you'd asked me back in 2009, if I was going to be doing this, I I wouldn't have had a clue, (laughs) but Basically, it was a series of events that took place. Like I was interviewed by David Allen in um, in 2009. Uh, he was very interested to hear about the way I'd used GTD as part of my cancer treatment. And I'd written um, a blog post for the GTD Times at that point. And then I um, re- was really getting into OmniFocus and struggling with it a bit myself and looking for where I could go and do a course on it. And, and I couldn't find anybody offering a course. So I decided to create my own. And I did some in-person courses here in Vancouver. For one of them, I, I contacted the Omni Group, and what they ended up doing is sending a couple of people up from Seattle, which is uh, it's about 160 miles or from uh, Vancouver, so not too far away. Mm-hmm. And they they filmed uh, the course. They interviewed me during the morning, put together this customer stories video. I'd already met some of the team before, but got to uh, like spend the day with them and go out for dinner and things like that. So it was uh, definitely started to form some good good uh, contacts with the Omni Group. And then when the customer stories video was published, suddenly I started to get people contacting me from all over the world and saying, will you help me with my OmniFocus setup? So for several years, I worked with people I think in pretty much every continent in the world and walk them through a process to, it wasn't just about OmniFocus and, and really learn OmniFocus isn't about, even about learning OmniFocus, but it's it's good to have something specific to work with as the, the that reflective process is going on. So I'd work with people to create a mind map of all their areas of focus. And then we'd look at how they can implement that into OmniFocus and what belonged in OmniFocus and what else were. And and I, I just I've worked with some incredible people in so many different fields, from lawyers to gold medal winning Olympic athlete to uh, people in the medical field and managers of government departments. And right. just just met so many interesting people. And and I realized that there was no way I could work with, with everybody on the planet that uh, you know had an interest in this. I just wanted to make this as accessible as possible. So that's what prompted me to, to start Learn OmniFocus uh, last year. So that was uh, launched in June of last year. I still do some one-on-one work, but um, a lot of energy is going into Learn OmniFocus and growing that at the moment as well. Okay. I would like to have one tip from you then concerning OmniFocus. How do you personally use contexts for your own productivity, your own organizational structure of your lists? And how do you recommend people approach it when they're just getting started? Because I think that that's the, one of the bigger tricks of the getting things done approach. And when you're sorting through OmniFocus, you're encouraged to think about contexts as things like, you know, well, here's my context. I, I will get these things done when I'm on my smartphone and I'll get these things done when I am at the office. Uh, but do you feel like technology has uh, changed what we use as contexts in the last few years. I'm, I'm thinking it has, at least for me personally, I wrestle with, well, you know, I could do so much with my smartphone or my iPad or my computer that I can't really say that being at my desk is one of my contexts anymore because I could do it mobily or I could do it at the, at the iMac. Uh, how do you, so how do you, how do you approach contexts with the changes in technology? 
the quick answer is maybe take the technology out of the picture and not not be concerned about that when defining the context. And, hmm. and uh, so one thing I ask people very often is, you know, what do they want to see less of? Well, they say, okay, I want to see a list of things that I can only do at home so I can make sure the plants are watered before I go off on my trip. Or I want to see some lists of things I can do when I'm brain dead. It's Friday afternoon and I just want to knock a few items off the list before going to the movies or something like that. Or I want to, I'm, you know, feeling full of energy now. I just want to see my my items that are a little more challenging or even things that I'm avoiding. Or So it's just, just getting clear on what the what sort of views into the system uh, would be useful. And then the contexts are really just there to facilitate that. They, there's something that can be filtered on. Um, so I, I'd have a context of something like easy, if some, it's something I could practically do in my sleep. But if it's something that requires my attention, I'd give it a context of focus. Um, mm. And then the, in OmniFocus, you can technically only have one context there's only one context field and you can only put one context in it uh, but i've also developed the convention of uh, saying something like phone colon uh, joe about podcast and then i could give that a context of easy so i can actually filter on that phone colon as well so i could say show me all my easy phone calls or all my ones that require attention or the ones i'm avoiding and, and it's, but that's what it comes down to is um I have hundreds of things in my OmniFocus database at the moment, and if I was trying to deal with them all at once, it'd be stressful. It'd be uh, just create this mental overwhelm. So it's really just looking at what are some convenient ways that I can get quickly get to the information that I need to see in this moment based on where I am and my energy levels and things like that. And and contexts are really just part of the mechanism that uh, that makes that possible. Now I'm going to look something up on thesweetsetup.com. I'm curious to see if there's any mention of OmniFocus. There is. Okay, here it says, our favorite productivity and GTD app suite for the Mac, iPhone, and iPad. OmniFocus 2. They have their review. It was written by Chris Bowler. And I would highly recommend that if you just want to get started, familiarity with the apps and uh, whether or not you want to invest in these programs that you start with their review. We'll add a link to this in the show notes. You will be able to get that at tectonic.fm slash six so that you can check out OmniFocus and see what Chris had to say about there. And then if you know you are serious about OmniFocus, I, I definitely think you should check out resources like David Allen's uh, GTD method. And if you're not really into reading, then also a supplementary or additionally, most definitely check out Tim's online uh, resources. And wh- what's your website again for the OmniFocus uh, site? Uh, the OmniFocus site is learnomnifocus.com. Excellent. Okay. And that's an ongoing project. Like you feel like you've already created the, the basic set of original video content and articles, and there's still more material coming along every day. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I've also got a live webinar series on that, which has been a lot of fun. Uh, So it's an opportunity for people to uh, ask questions and share their experiences. And I've also started to have more guests on the show. So I had uh, Kurash Dini, who uh, literally wrote the book on OmniFocus, and he's the uh, author of Creating Flow with OmniFocus. Uh, I've got uh, Sven Fetchner coming later this month, who's um, based in Germany, and he has a really popular blog called Simplicity Bliss, and talks a lot about OmniFocus on there. So part of it is not just sharing information, but opening up the conversation so that 
people who've been doing this for a while can share their story, but uh, and then people can grow within this this community and 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 essentially this goes beyond well beyond OmniFocus. It's I think in general sometimes people feel a little bit isolated, and I I just see the internet as this uh, as we're talking about before we started recording. It has this opportunity to access this global network and having a team of people you enjoy working with and connect with regularly can really, really help to motivate the the process. Interesting. So how would you recommend people use OmniFocus from day to day? Is it the first thing you do when you grab a cup of coffee or do you take a review up after a certain point at lunch? Uh, you know, how do you use it uh, intermittently? At a very basic level, I, I recommend the way I put it is uh, making OmniFocus a sacred space, so not having it be a dumping ground for every idea that's popped into your head. And <laughs> Ouch, I've blown that one. Yeah, and that's the number one reason I find people fall flat, not just with OmniFocus, but I think with any any task manager. So practicing it, definitely a big fan of the GTD methodology, uh, applying those best practices within OmniFocus and naming projects that defined outcomes and tasks that are actually tasks and not incomplete thoughts, things like that. My typical process is to do a review of my available tasks in the morning, and then I'll flag, I'd say maximum about 12 or so um, ones that aren't necessarily due, but it would really help to move some projects forward if I completed those today. And that tends to be my my focus is those flagged in the tasks as well as those that are due soon. And then I'll find it depends on where I am and what I'm doing, but uh, I tend to do kind of a little bit of a triage process as I go through the day and and the day unfolds and maybe I have a bit more time because some schedules have changed or maybe I don't have as much time as I as I thought I would have at the beginning of the day. So it's it's really becoming very agile within the just adjusting things so that it's in line with what's what's most important today. One question I think some of our other listeners would have for you would be related to the PC Microsoft Windows platform and beyond. What would you recommend for people if they're not Mac users, not iPhone users? And we had a, 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 our friend Jonathan Sampson on the show, and I don't want to leave poor guys like him out in the cold without OmniFocus and nothing else to turn to. Well, what would you recommend that they use? Uh, I was going to say I recommend they buy a Mac, but that might be a little biased. <laughs> Problem solved. Uh, yeah, there we go. Yeah, I don't. I haven't found um, a solution that really lives up to uh, OmniFocus in terms of its capabilities. Having said that, uh, there are a lot of great web-based uh, solutions that are continuing to improve and improve. And I'd say Todoist is probably one of the better ones out there, and I'm keeping a close eye on uh, on what they're doing. There's still some features that are missing from the apps that I've looked at that. It'd be hard to use them for that reason. For instance, in OmniFocus, I make use of defer dates quite a bit. So if if I don't want to see a task on my radar till next week, I can defer it to, let's say, Monday, and I don't actually see it on my available list until Monday comes along. (laughs) So I find that that very useful. And there's ways to kind of hack it in in other solutions as well. But um, I think fundamentally having a place to to put these things and using it consistently, whether it's a web-based solution or... pen and paper or something like that that's really the key to all of this um not to get too caught up in the technology and but really to get to the heart of you know why this is a good idea why why get stuff out of your head and put it somewhere and what are some practices to encourage regular use any questions josh actually just you know wondering how it, you know, i'm just obviously trying to figure out how it would apply to, to home life uh we're a homeschool family of a bunch of little children and my wife's a little bit tech averse so this may not be the 
best solution, but I'm always trying to push solutions like this on her. <laughs> so I don't know if that's the, the right approach or if, if you have any thoughts on how to take someone that's really not tech averse and maybe just help them with, I guess, some of the theory, maybe before going so deep as something like this. Yeah. And one, one suggestion would be just use pen and paper to start sure. with, or they use a really simple list app or something on an iPhone and sure. just to give them an experience of sort of more productive way of being like, if someone's keeping a lot of stuff in their head and they're, you know, might be keeping them awake at night. So right. putting a pen and paper beside uh, their bed when they go to sleep so they can jot down some things that are on their mind. And so it's these little wins. I think it's, it's not um, trying to take 10 steps ahead all at once. It's really sure. saying, okay, what what's something that will take things a little farther and encourage further development from there? Are, are there any resources or steps, that, I guess, for that first step, you know, maybe like a, what would mind mapping or something like that just on paper be a, a good suggestion for, you know, an overwhelmed homeschool mom to organize her life a little bit better? Uh, I would, I would actually get curious, have kind of a coaching conversation to to kind of get to what are some of the key pain points and you probably have a good sense of this already but mm-hmm. and so really turn it into not something that's so it's not contrived there's not sort of a plan going in but just get curious and notice what's what's missing what are the what are the challenges and and uh, what it's it's not even what needs to be fixed but what are some pieces that are missing that if that were added into the mix and it would it would improve things in the short term and then create a motivation to say, oh yeah, that actually worked pretty well. That's uh, what else is there out there? Mm. So it's not trying to fix anybody. It's more, yeah, encouraging them to try things out or offering to help. And I think often just modeling it is one of the most powerful ways to go about this. And, and uh, you know, as, if people see me doing things a certain way, they might actually come and ask me and say, okay, yeah, or how did you, how do you manage to stay on top of things? Or uh, you said you'd call by Friday, and you actually did. What the? How, how do you? How do you manage this? <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, it's all these little little things here, and um, that's worked for me with OmniFocus a few times. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. making the calls, making the emails. You get something, and someone says, "You know, I'm interested in following up about this with you, but you know, check in three months." And then it's you know three months to the day. Here's the, you know here I am. I'm emailing them. And they're like, "Whoa, what'd you do?" Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, I'm not trying to be creepy or anything. I just uh, used OmniFocus. It's not that hard <laughs> yeah yeah and that's when then if yeah they might just say oh can you show me a bit of that or can you give me a peek at your system or something like that mm-hmm. yeah and, and that's one of the great reliefs with this kind of organization is once you have it all down like david allen would say it's off your mind it relieves a lot of stress because you're not trying to keep track of everything remember everything i i face a, a similar situation with someone else significant in my life that this person doesn't especially want to put things down into the computer, they feel like they're wasting time by recording the things, re, you know, organizing the things, outlining the things, and and making sure that they're uh, addressing the important things versus the urgent things. And, and I'm like, you know, you, you'd actually be saving yourself though a great deal of uh, of headaches. You might feel like you're wasting time organizing your thoughts and your action steps, but you're actually going to relieve a lot of pressure because you don't want that up in your mind because you will forget things and you you're you know you'll forget things and you just want to relieve yourself of the burden and that is what a great program like OmniFocus can do and uh, this has been something that has been brought up by so many of the OmniFocus users like CGP Gray recently talked about in a uh, promotion for uh, OmniFocus on his podcast Hello Internet that like you said Tim one of the great things you can do with this program is just hide everything that's not on your agenda for today, not in this context. 
And that's a, such a great time-saving feature to quickly input the next project or action step and then just uh, you know get it out of your mind so you can focus back on the task at hand. And that's what it's all about. Get it all down in OmniFocus and then you can literally focus on just the next thing you need to check off. And you don't have to think about everything else until you're done with the next item. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think some of the resistance is people perceive that as a lot of work to get it set up or say, I don't have the time or the motivation or whatever version of it there is. And like how David Allen says, if you want to speed up, you need to slow down. So I think it's, that's where the, um, it's, it's, it might seem kind of counterintuitive at first to actually hit the pause button again. I think that's what it comes back to is, is just being willing to kind of pull over the service station and rather than, you know, trying to make the you know, best possible time to the destination, um, because those those rest stops, those uh, reflection moments can maybe make you realize there's actually um, an, another way to do this. There's a much more efficient way. And hold on, there's an airport down the street, and I can just hop on a plane and get there or something. And so it's. Um, but if if it's if it's always in this sort of mode of busyness, and there isn't that that pause there, then people think they're maybe going to get get there faster. But it's it ultimately you know, is very limiting. That's right. And you'll never get to that milkshake. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be a tragedy. <laughs> well, Tim, thanks so much for joining us on Tectonic. It's been a pleasure to talk this out with you. And I know we're going to have you back on the show many times in the future to talk about productivity as it concerns how technology is ever changing. I know that we will be encountering uh, new app developments you know, now our productivity uh, and mindfulness is going to be changing dramatically with wearables, with things like the Apple Watch. I expect to look at a lot of my lists, a lot of my to-dos right off of my wrist so that I can spend less time hunting and pecking for the right app to stay focused and trained on my on my iPhone. Like uh, Sean Blanc would often say, you know, he doesn't really want to pull the pocket watch out of his pocket because he knows if he checks the time off of his iPhone, the next thing he's going to be doing is checking on his Twitter stream and then he's going to be watching a cat video. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm very eager to see how technology ebbs and flows in the future. And we need bright minds like yours to help us wade through technology in years to come. And I think it's really getting back to the awareness around the use of the technology and defining its purpose and bringing some thoughtfulness to all of that. Um, Because otherwise, the technology is not going to really have any impact or it's going to have a negative impact and prove to be a major source of distraction. So it's so it's it's really managing ourselves, I think, as much as managing the technology and just uh, when is it a good time to just turn it off and take a break from it? Yeah. So next item on the agenda, Tim, where can people find you online? They can find me. Uh, my website is at technicallysimple.com. And uh, just briefly, too, I have an in-depth course called Holistic Productivity, which grew out of the It's About Time that I mentioned earlier. So for people who want to take a really deep dive with this and and um, you work with a small group of 10 people through a four-month process, and it's all video conference, so everyone gets to know each other, and that's attracted a worldwide audience, which has been a lot of fun. So it's not unusual to have a group that's got like people in the States and Canada and Europe and even Africa and New Zealand and Australia. Yeah, I'm just loving that that experience. So there's some more information there. And then, as I mentioned earlier, learnomnifocus.com. And I'm pretty active on Twitter. I'm at Tim Stringer. That's T-I-M-S-T-R-I-N-G-E-R. Excellent. And Joshua, where can people find you? Uh, nowhere. I'm hiding in a bunker. 
bunkering down in your OmniFocus, getting <laughs> things done. <laughs> Actually, you are at Joshua.Pfeiffer on Twitter. Is that correct? Or is it, no, there's no dot? I don't think there's a dot. Okay. So yeah, it's just at Joshua Pfeiffer on Twitter and everybody go over there and try to derail Joshua and see what you can do. Make him, you know, distract him, give him some urgent items on in his to-dos that he doesn't really need to pay attention to. <laughs> you can find me. I'm also on Twitter underscore Joe Darnell. Also check out the website, tectonic.fm. And if you wanted to get to the show notes, that's tectonic.fm slash six. If you want to send your feedback in an email that is to, uh, needs to go to hello at tectonic.fm. And lastly, it makes a world of difference to us. If you would rate the show, it only takes you a few seconds to find us on iTunes. And that's where the star rating really counts. Go over there. It, it, if as long as you already signed into iTunes, you can just click on your star rating of the show. It's super easy. It doesn't take you five seconds. And if you feel like going the extra mile, leave us a short review. Say a few kind words, or say uh, well, no kind words at all. I mean, just do whatever you want. Thanks so much for listening to Tectonic, and this will be a wrap for episode six. Thanks, guys. It's a wrap. Peace.